0: hello and welcome to the et phd team podcast the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you i'm Amelia, a registered nutritionist and phd with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier if you love it please do go wild and share it and if you're ready for support with our coaching details are in the show notes Hello and welcome to episode number 255 of the ETPHD team podcast. What the fitness industry gets wrong about periods. This is a little bit of a bonus episode for you today because I am running through the first half of the talk that myself and Emma, Emma and myself, are giving at IFS, so as I record this, This is before IFS, as I release this, you will get this after IFS because, well, that's fair. And um, we are together talking about periods and menopause. But I am giving you all of the information on my favorite topic, periods. If you were at IFS, you may want to skip this. If you think you know everything about periods in the hormone cycle, then you could skip this. But actually, maybe I will challenge your narrative. And I would also like to apologise for the slight, uh, slight issue in sound. I sound a little bit echoey, but let me tell you, I have tried recording the podcast in my room, recording the podcast in my cupboard, recording the podcast in the shower, and actually none are particularly great. And it's thirty degrees ish in Brighton today, and I do not really want to record under the duvet. Um, that would be a very sweaty mess, and nobody needs that in their life. So. Hopefully it is clear enough and you can't hear the scaffolding outside and if you can, then I apologise, so let us begin. The average woman bleeds for 10 years of her life. 10 years. To put that into perspective, the average person sleeps for 26 years, eats for 4.5, goes on holiday for 3 years and has sex for a third of a year. I feel like having sex for a third of a year um, for your entire life is relatively optimistic, to be quite frank, and I'm probably more like, you know, a 10th, but if we look at it in the context of our whole life, bleeding for 10 years of our life on average, sleeping for 26, okay, it's not quite half of the time that we sleep for, but it's somewhere between a half and a third, and if I could do better maths, I would tell you what that fraction was, but alas, I cannot. We bleed for a lot of time, And so completely ignoring this when it comes to nutrition, training, lifestyle would be pretty, pretty foolish. As a bit of a refresher, if you've listened to the nutrition for um, your menstrual cycle podcast episode, you will know this. If you've done EIQ, you will know this. If you track your cycle, you may know this everyone should know this and it does amaze me actually sometimes when i ask people my clients you know what is your menstrual cycle length often people will say oh it's you know five to seven days your menstrual cycle length is not the length that you bleed your menstrual cycle length is from the day that you first bleed up until the day before your bleed again average cycle length is about 28 days and roughly halfway through this is when we experience ovulation and Before ovulation, we have the follicular phase, and that is when we are starting to see some egg maturation and development before release. We have predominantly an estrogenic environment. It begins to rise after our period and begins to peak, and estrogen peaks just before we ovulate, alongside hormones, luteinizing hormone, and follicle-stimulating hormone that are involved in egg maturation and release. We ovulate, we want to have sex with everyone we see, and then we enter our luteal phase. And during our luteal phase, although there is a slight increase in oestrogen at about day 21 on average, this is really where we are progesterone dominant. And we see an increase in progesterone after we've ovulated, and this peaks roughly at about 21 days, and then progesterone dips alongside oestrogen. So just before we menstruate, This is when our hormones are kind of dropped back to, they're not plummeted below nothing, but you know, they're they're no longer peaking, shall we say. And this happens roughly every 28 days. And so the first thing that the fitness industry tells us often is that during PMS, you will be weak. Now, if you follow me for more than a month on instagram you know you're like oh my gosh she's talking about this again i am talking about this again because every single time i talk about it and then go back on instagram and see someone else has written a book done a post done a program about how we can you know maximize the potential of our hormones so let's talk about this in the follicular phase we are estrogen dominant peaks just before ovulation remember that estrogen is generally thought of to aid muscle repair it's anti catabolic Catabolic breakdown of muscle, or just breakdown. Um, it also acts as an antioxidant. Exercise is and creates an inflammatory response. That's what DOMS is. It's inflammation, delayed onset muscle soreness, and that's really, really important for muscle adaptation. And it's also one reason why overtraining is silly because we constantly get this inflammatory response. We can't then uh, re- repair, recover, and adapt from our training session. Exercise is. In the moment, catabolic, and it's after that that we see um, the anabolic processes. And so, in this follicular phase, estrogen is uh, dominant or at its highest. So, it seems logical that if it's anti-catabolic, it aids muscle repair, acts as an antioxidant, it could help recovery. Seems logical, therefore, that we will be our performance will be better during the follicular phase. What's also interesting is that we have estrogen receptors on our tendons, on our muscles, on our ligaments, and these estrogen receptors enhance our sensitivity to anabolic stimuli. So when we do train and have the recovery process, when we do eat protein, which is um, another anabolic stimuli to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, it makes sense, therefore, if we have these receptors on these parts of our bodies, muscles, tendons, ligaments, that we will have an enhanced anabolic response when estrogen is higher. Now, let's flip this on its head during, during the uh, luteal phase. This is where we see an increase in progesterone, where progesterone peaks, and then, subsequently, we see a drop in progesterone just before we bleed. And progesterone, on the other hand, is potentially catabolic. It, is, uh, it, it impacts our uh, insulin sensitivity, so we see a reduction in insulin sensitivity and an increase in fat oxidation. It's involved in increasing our temperature, which is if you track your cycle, you'll see that you get an increase in temperature through the second half of your cycle as as a result of progesterone. And progesterone actually has a positive effect on certain mood neurotransmitters. So we think that when progesterone is relatively high, actually um, that can support our mood. And you might be thinking, hmm, my mood in the luteal phase is not so great but that's because what happens when progesterone drops is that we get these mood fluctuations as mood fluctuations in response to the removal or the dropping of progesterone. So we see these potentially challenging mood fluctuations and during that drop also, we see potentially a reduction in our sleep quality because progesterone is actually calming and soothing. And so when that drops down, this can obviously impact our sleep quality. And so again, you might be thinking, okay, well, logically then, you know, progesterone, higher in the second part of my cycle, potentially catabolic, my mood might change, I'm going to be hotter, I'm going to be sweatier, um, my, like my, my metabolism, the fuels that I use to for energy are going to change. And in comparison to the follicular phase, those first weeks, it's like, well, of course, of course it seems logical that performance would be enhance during the follicular phase. So let's look at this. Early research in the 90s looked initially at what happens if we train more in our our follicular phase, the first two weeks versus the second two weeks. And one of the first studies to do this was by Rez and colleagues in 1995. And what they did is they had people train uh, differently with each of their legs so this is a really cool study design because it's within person. They're not. They don't have you know fluctuating hormones between different people, and those we don't have to account for differences in individuals, etc. They're both on the same person. And what they did was they had one leg train heavy in the follicular phase. So they did um, every other day in the follicular phase, and then lower frequency during the luteal phase. And then the second leg just trained regularly once every three days. And what they found was that there were significantly greater increases when training was done early in the cycle and reduced later in the cycle. The comparison was a 33% increase in strength versus only a 13% increase in strength when it was done across the cycle. So people were like, oh, oh, this is a huge difference in strength. That is a vast difference. Can't do the math. 22%. And so, and other people are like, okay, let's replicate the study, because this first study was seven people over two months. Now, if you're somebody who menstruates, you know your cycle is not often very regular to the day, every couple of months, let alone over a two-month period, and it was seven people. So, if we take seven people in a, in a room, can you really say, okay, let's use their data and their response over two months to determine exactly what we should do for everyone else. So so other people have repeated it. And there was another study actually more recently in 2017 that did a similar sort of thing, but they actually had people who uh, didn't take contraceptives and people who did. And then they had people train predominantly in the follicular phase versus people who trained predominantly in the luteal phase and then people who trained regularly all the way throughout. So for one group, five times a week during the first two weeks. For the other group, five times a week during the last two weeks. And on the other weeks, once a week. And the control group did three times a week. And this was better. This was over four, a four-month period and included some people on contraception. And what they identified was that people who trained predominantly in the first few weeks had significantly greater increases in lean mass and strength. So again, we're thinking, okay, great. Another group of women or people who menstruate seeing greater increases in strength and lean mass when we train in the beginning. And it makes sense mechanistically, it makes sense. And that is where we have developed this fitness industry narrative of take advantage of your hormonal profile. And this is what I like to call silly goose programming we see people say, okay, when you bleed, you should rest um, and then start to increase the intensity for that eight day period. Then in the follicular phase, you know, focus on strength training, train hard. When you ovulate, focus on form. And then in your luteal phase, just gentle movement, just rest, babe, relax, don't do anything too strenuous. Which means that for about seven days, at least every single month, we're telling women to rest. But when we look at the meta-analysis on all of the research that we have, meta-analysis, you listen to this podcast, you hopefully know what these are. Take all the research that we have, or a lot of the research that we have, put it together, all these different randomised controlled trials, usually predominantly randomised controlled trials, at least. And people will run statistical analysis on all of this research and say, okay, overall, this is what we see. Solid, good pieces of evidence on the whole. The systematic review and meta-analysis done in 2020 took 73 studies and looked at what is the impact of the menstrual cycle phase on exercise performance. And what they found was that there was a very trivial effect for um, strength training and endurance training in terms of hormones, with reduced exercise performance observed early in the follicular phase, the follicular phase, not the luteal phase, which seems to be opposite to the, re- the research that I was just talking about. And they identified that the likelihood that exercise performance is poor is highest during the early follicular phase. However, quality of this research was classed as very low. There was a huge risk of bias and ultimately they they, um, concluded that exercise performance might be trivial reduced during the early follicular phase but due to the trivial effect size, the large between study variation and the number of poor quality studies, general guidelines on exercise performance across the menstrual cycle cannot be formed. It's recommended that a personalised approach should be taken. And again, more recent research published in 2023, some research that I haven't spoken before, again looked at the evidence around um, changing training throughout the menstrual cycle to see different adaptations and performance. And it was an umbrella review that looked at meta-analysis and systematic reviews. And what they identified was that it was premature to conclude that short term fluctuations in reproductive hormones appreciably influence acute exercise performance or longer-term strength or hypertrophic hypertrophic adaptations to resistance exercise. The research isn't there. What's interesting is that it could be that training feels harder during our luteal phase, but we get it done regardless because we are warriors. We have to honour our body month to month. On top of this, when we look at um, appetite and other things that happen during PMS, when progesterone is at its peak, we see increases in hunger often because progesterone may stimulate ghrelin, a hunger hormone, and it may contribute to increases in basal metabolic rate. And it also may be related to lectin. And what also happens when progesterone drops, remember, um, it has an impact on certain neurotransmitters, which could influence our cravings. Okay, so most of you who menstruate will probably see an increase in appetite during PMS and potentially an increase in cravings. Now let's put this into perspective that women during their fertile lifespan are exposed to elevated luteal phase progesterone about half of the time. Half of our time when we are bleeding for our, you know, our quote-unquote reproductive fertile years, we're exposed to this increase in progesterone or this drop, sudden drop in progesterone. So it is actually physiologically pretty important. At the same time, estrogens and specifically estradiol, acts to reduce hunger because it impacts um, our ghrelin levels by reducing our ghrelin levels. Oestrogen also increases our satisfaction through its impact on a hormone called cholecystokinin K, which is a hormone responsible for satiation after a meal. So when oestrogen is higher, our hunger levels generally are lower and we're more likely to feel more satisfied after a meal. This occurs during the follicular phase. We also get about a 5 to 15% increase in basal metabolic rate during the luteal phase, which feels like hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of calories when our appetite is insatiable, but actually it's probably about 150 to 250 calories. On top of this, we actually see um, changes in binge eating, and frequency and severity and emotional eating during the luteal phase, and this may well also be related to um, fluctuations in hormones, specifically oestrogen. So in terms of your nutrition, some people, especially if they're on a fat loss journey, might just want to take the hit of the extra increase in calorie expenditure, energy expenditure, um, and that's fine. But if you tend to overeat or have really bad cravings during PMS, you might wanna increase your calorie targets by about 200 calories a day. You might wanna honor hunger if you're not tracking and just be super mindful of overeating and emotional eating, because like I said, there is an increased risk. Just for reference, pick PMS. That requires support occurs in about 30 to 40 percent of people who menstruate and mild symptoms are about 50 to 80 percent what also happens during pms let's have a little list shall we increased temperature and sweating low mood increased anxiety bloating less positive body image muscle soreness gi distress poor sleep cramping and physical pain fluid shifts intolerance brain fog lethargy decreases in emotional regulation skills reduced concentration inflammation Sore breasts, headaches, change in libido, hunger, skin changes, increased risk of yeast infections, clumsiness, can't relate to this at all, increased sensory sensitivity, migraines, increased risk of emotional and binge eating, paranoia, lower self-esteem, feelings of persecution, defensiveness, self-blame, again, can't relate, lower self-efficacy and confidence in actions. Okay, so just because we're saying, you know, your hormones don't matter to your training, which is not what we're saying. But if we look at the research, it doesn't mean that PMS is not going to impact us. It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle at certain times of the month during our cycle. It does mean that how that shows up for us is super, super individual. Personal experience is valid. And remember, science hates women as much as some men with podcasts do. Okay, we need to make sure that we are advocating for ourselves, but the science isn't there yet. It doesn't mean that something is not going to change over time, but right now we don't have the evidence to say that we need to do things. So trust yourself. Don't listen to an influencer that says, "Okay, you know you're going to feel X, Y, or Z during the next period of your like this period of your cycle, or you have to rest for a week. You're going to be weak for the five to seven days. No, what happens for you, and it's probably going to vary, cycle to cycle." so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my instagram in the show notes